Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, it's a mom and son duo. It's Melanie Manwaring and her son, Kyle. Welcome to the podcast. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Just to give our listeners a little background on the Manwaring family, um, Melanie, her husband, are the parents of three kids. Her youngest son is here with us, Kyle. Kyle is gay. We'll be talking about Kyle's story as a gay Latter-day Saint. Kyle is the youngest of the three. I think I just said, said that. Grew up in Utah County, served a mission in Paris, French-speaking, and has recently graduated from BYU. We're recording this in May of 2019. And we'll talk about Kyle's future. But this is just a story we visited before. And just for really Kyle, who's out and has been out at BYU and involved at BYU and LGBTQ to tell his story. And part of his story is his mom. His mom is the very first person he came out to. And that put a little tear in my eye before we started to have mom here. And Kyle offered a wonderful prayer before we start. And we just pray a good spirit is here that our listeners, parents, LGBTQ people, local leaders, and others will just find principles here that bring us together as we talk about this t t tender and difficult at times subject. So anything that either of you need to correct what I, what I said? No, that was good. Sounded great. Um, so Melanie, is Kyle your favorite child? What a terrible question to ask at the beginning of the podcast. I'm feeling a little punchy today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, of course, we all love our all children. All children are the favorite <laughs> yes. children. Um, Kyle has some unique individual qualities and gifts. Some he's acquired here on earth. Others he came with from the very heavens. So, yes, the um, mixture of gifts that he has um, and that he has shared in his life, those are my favorite qualities for Kyle. That's how I'll answer. <laughs> I love that. And I love that you recognize part of who Kyle is, is who he was before he was born. And sometimes moms understand that really well. And you're the parents of two grandkids. Correct. And they, they live where? They live in Lehigh, Utah, close to us. We are able to see them regularly. And they consistently and predictably bring love and happy. They make happy happen. Two boys, two girls. One girl three years old, and one boy, eight months old. That's great. We're kind of in the same boat with two grandkids at our home, and and you have a son living. Tell our listeners where he's living. So we have a son who is living in Philadelphia um, and has been there for about six or eight months, having some good adventures. That's great. This city of brotherly love, I think. <laughs> That's right. So, Kyle, talk about you growing up. You Tell us where you grew up and what your interests were and when you sort of realized you were gay and just share with that with share that story with our listeners. Great. <clears throat> yeah. So I was born in Provo. My mom um, birthed me. <laughs> Way to go, Melody. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I've lived, I've lived in Provo Orem my whole life. Um, we, um, I went to high school at Mountain View um, in Orem. Um, I graduated uh, and went straight on a mission a month after graduation to Paris, France. Um, did you open your call in front of your friends and family or did you do it quietly somewhere? I opened it in front of my friends and family. I had a bunch of people over to my house. Um, it was February 24th. Um, you remember the I remember day? I remember the exact day, yeah. 
Um, and so it was fun to go through the last three or four months of school uh, with the knowing where I was going and most of my friends knew where they were going as well. So it was fun to kind of all enter, um, that new experience together. Did uh, you have any experience with France or study French? Yep, yeah, or... I had studied French for, uh, four years in, um, in high school and junior high and I had been to France before. And so I, it was, it was my dream come true and I. I was, a lot of my friends were very jealous. <laughs> so, um, so it's a great place. I loved it. Um, I actually came home early from my mission because of some, um, emotional and physical honest, health um, issues, um, which was a really looking back was a really good and positive, helpful learning experience. Um, I came back and started at BYU. Um, and then just recently graduated. Um, I've always been involved and interested in sports and politics and um, history. Um, I love American history and um, love traveling and kind of seeing historical places. I love Washington, D.C. is my favorite place. What's your favorite places in Washington, D.C.? Um, I love my favorite place in Washington, D.C. is Ford's Theater, where Abraham Lincoln was shot. Wow. Um, does Abraham. that bring your history and politics and everything all together? Yeah, it does. It does. And then I also really like the Arlington National Cemetery. So, Wow. Um, so, yeah. Um, talk about when you just kind of, when you figured out that you were gay and, yeah. and what labels you took on and if you talked to anybody about that or just walking yeah. that road often that's a pretty one person road you and maybe god because you're not talking to many people about that share yeah. with us that's journey yeah um so i think i've always i've always kind of known that i have been attracted to guys um and i didn't really know what that meant especially when i was younger in elementary school or junior high um in high school it kind of i think became a little more solidified in my head especially with um, in Utah County, you know, a culture of dating and, um, I loved going to school dances and stuff like that. But, um, every time my friends would talk about all of these girls they were interested in, it just, I was like, okay, like let's move on. And like, it's not that important. Um, and so I kind of, I kind of just ignored it. I knew that in the back of my mind, I knew that I would eventually have to kind of come to terms with it and be a little more honest about it. Um, but I tried to put that off as long as possible and I think I did a pretty good job. Um, and so it wasn't until after my mission, I came back from BYU and I mean, I came back from my mission and I was at BYU and I tried dating girls a lot. Um, and it, I think it was one of the most embarrassing experiences of my life. Just trying really hard, genuinely pleading with God, um, and making really good f connections and friendships, but just always, always, always coming short. Um, Back in high school, how was your emotional health? Some report to me that they're okay, and some report they're suicidal. I've heard of range. Where were you just yeah. with your emotional health during this time? I, I was lucky to have really, really great friends. Um, looking back, I never really had like a group of like friends that I would always, a group of like best friends, but I, I, I was lucky to, to have lots of friends that I could just go and feel comfortable around. Um, and so that helped a lot with my, um, my emotional health. I never, 
Um, it wasn't really until my mission when I, when I encountered kind of depression or, um, thoughts of, um, never suicidal thoughts to that extreme, but, you know, understanding of, oh, like this is not very fun. And like, maybe, maybe it would be easier if I wasn't around. Um, but that wasn't really until my mission. And, you know, straight LGBTQ missionaries, all types, everybody's sort of experiences are really stretched on their mission emotionally. Mm -hmm. Anxiety goes up, stress goes up, depression goes up. It just seems like that's the majority as we're put in these really tough kind of pressure packed situations. Do you think being L being gay was added to your load in the mission or do you think just some of the journey you felt there and which led to you coming home was separate from that? Um, I, I totally think it was mostly separate and mostly my mission was a great, um, a great experience. And most of the challenges I, 95% of the challenges didn't relate to, to me being gay. Um, and so, so I was lucky. I was lucky in that regard, I think. Um, and yeah, I think I, looking back, I do, I am really appreciative. And I, the thing that got me through coming home from my mission early was, um, kind of reaching out and trying to help other people that, cause again, I had a good experience coming home and my family was really great. And so the only thing that really kept me going was writing blogs or like trying to help other people. Um, and I think that that was a good, now looking back, I'm like, okay, yeah, like that was a good preparation for now what I'm doing and trying to, trying to come to terms myself and then also trying to, to help other people. And so I think it, that's just a good example for me, at least that God always, God always knows best. And even if you don't know it, he's kind of shaping your life. And in the moment you think it's a, the worst disaster in your life. I was so scared to come home and um, but now it's literally the greatest blessing in my life. And why? Because it, it taught me so much. And because it, I think it was a good example of, of, um, my will kind of being dwarfed in comparison to the power of God and, um, just, you kind of have to go in and go along with, with what you think is best, what you think God wants. And, um, and he'll always help. He'll always make sure you don't mess things up too much. So. Well, if an early release missionary, if that's the right term is listening to this podcast and yeah. what would you say to him or her since you've been on this road? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing is to the biggest thing is to maintain to attempt to maintain a relationship with God regardless of what that looks like for some people I know that they came home or early from their mission and it was helpful for them to kind of take a break from going to church and being surrounded by questions and stressful things and I mean I had stressful encounters and stressful things happen um but I think just being able to maintain that relationship with God and trying to come to a personal understanding that 
nobody else can really dictate or influence. No one, no one else can hinder your relationship, should hinder your relationship with God. It's something that you're in control of. And whatever you have to do to best help that relationship, you have to do. Um, so I think for some people, it's helpful to to take a step back for a little bit, reevaluate. I think, obviously, I think if mental health is involved, I think counseling is incredible. And I think not, for my own personal life, counseling has changed my life. And so those are just a few That's suggestions. A great suggestions. If I were in your ward and you walked in that first Sunday back, what what's the right thing for me to do? Assuming I kind of know, I mean, at least we're friends and I know you, what's the best thing for me to do? Um, I And what's the things for that I shouldn't be doing? <laughs> I think well, I think I came home on a on a Saturday and I remember <clears throat> um church was the next Sunday and I was really nervous. Um but I just remember walking in and instantly people, I mean, people were surprised, I think, because I don't think a lot of people really knew, but a lot of people just came up and gave me hugs and said they were happy to see me. And that was, that was the extent Though that was really helpful. Um, there were a few great people that I love that, um, try to try to understand or try to better their way of showing love is asking, Questions. why are you here? What What's your next step? Um, and while that might be helpful for some, it wasn't helpful for me. Um, but That's really, that's very helpful because you, you actually asked two parallel question channels. One is why you're here and all the questions about why you're here. And then that you probably don't really want to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, except with your family and others. And then you know, what, what are you doing next? When are you going back? And, and are those both difficult streams of questions to address or? Yeah, I think, I think that they both are. I think it, I was just trying to, I mean, I wanted to go to church because I wanted, I loved going to church and I loved God and I wanted to me, that's what I was doing. And that's, and the majority of people I think understood that. And, um, and so I think showing love in whatever whatever form that is for you is helpful. You know, when we were visiting before we went live, you mentioned you came home early from mission. And the first thought that came into my mind was how long you served. And then the next thought in my mind says, don't ask that question. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And I just... The thought that came to my mind is your service is acceptable to God. And it's not time related. And in my earthly eyes, I shouldn't be judging you in any way by if it was six weeks or 24 months. Yeah. The th thought that came to mind, Kyle, is that you did the very best you can and your service is acceptable by God. And it doesn't matter how long you served and I shouldn't ask that question. Yeah. And so maybe that's an example of just what we can do, you know, it's, as not that not to say I've got it right, but that was just an impression I felt. Right, uh, Melanie. What's um, you've walking this space with a son who's come home. There's no release society lesson that's prepared you. Maybe there is. Um, and so, how did you navigate this, and what advice would you give to other parents? I think Kyle touched on 
at least in my heart and mind, the greatest component, which is love wins. And when love wins, it becomes simple. I don't want to um, not acknowledge that there's difficult things, but I think love wins. And I love um, in Peter where it says, above all things have fervent charity for one another. And so Kyle's mission experience provided an invitation to my heart to be more fervent and understand love. The other experiences that have happened uh, prior to that as well as after that, it was the same invitation. So I would say love, love wins. Um, listening is probably more important than talking. Did ward members say things that you wish they hadn't said? Is there any advice you'd have for ward members if they're trying to connect with you and say the, and say things that are helpful? I personally did not have anybody come and say anything. I have a lot of great friends in, in our ward, men and women. And the great thing is they're friends with Kyle and they adored Kyle um, long before that Sunday when, when he was there sitting next to me. And I remember during the sacrament hymn, um, Kyle, I was... I was not emotionally sad. I was just emotionally filled um, with with what was going on. There was nothing negative about it. It felt very positive. But Kyle put his arm around me as I got a little bit teary-eyed during the sacrament song. And I remember how connected I felt with Kyle. Kyle showed me love in a minute, in a moment, when he was desiring that from other people as well. So that's who Kyle is. Um, so simply put, Show, show love. Any more thoughts on this experience just coming home early? Yeah. I actually, is it okay if I share scripture? Please do. Um, I, um, my mission president shared this scripture with me when I came home and it really helped me through that process. But especially over the last few months and year, it's helped me in the process of coming out and kind of coming to terms with with my future, with with God and with with the church. So this is in Doctrine and Covenants 124. It's uh, section 124, verse 49. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that when I give a commandment to any of the sons of men to do a work unto my name, and those sons of men go with all their might and with all they have to perform that work, and cease not their diligence, and their enemies come upon them, and hinder them from performing that work. Behold, it behooveth me to require that work no more at the hands of those men, but to accept of their offerings. And coming home early from my mission, I i mean, no one else could judge or know kind of the efforts I put in. It was something that was between me and God. And that helped me to kind of realize and be okay with, I tried and God can still accept of what I offered him. And then now when I kind of look at my future and um, my my place in the plan of salvation and the plan of happiness, I, I, I kind of find peace in the same sort of sentiment that, you know, you just have to try as hard as you can. And um, while I don't think being gay is 
is an enemy or something that's bad, I think um, it's a good opportunity to to continue to try and God will understand, even if no one else does, God will understand how hard you try and he will ultimately accept of of your offerings. And so... It's a really good thought. I love that scripture. I love your mission presence sharing that. Yeah. Um, a couple thoughts come to mind is, um, even though we're talking, we're defining your mission by the fact you came home early, which is probably a mistake. I should probably, um, you know talk about your areas and the people you taught and your companions and the wonderful experience and the people whose lives are better because of your service. So it's a mistake in a way just to talk about your mission and just be talking about your early release mission there. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not sure I can make up for the time, but share with us just an experience in your mission, somebody you taught, a member, just a sweet spiritual experience that just comes to your mind, Kyle. Yeah, um, so many so many amazing people and i think in france the biggest the most impactful thing was interacting with the members um it's a very small number and they're very faithful and they're very loving um the first thing that came to mind was we um we spent christmas with a family that they had a son on a mission and we um we, me and my companion were given a bunch of presents and they fully embraced us and loved us and spent Christmas with us while their son was gone. And they, they Skyped in with their son and talked for a little bit, but they, it seemed like they were more interested in talking with us and spending time with us than talking with their son. And I don't know, I think I'm still friends and I still cool. stay in contact with so many, especially these French ladies that are so sweet and so, so loving um they're amazing people and um when i think of my mission that's what i think of i don't think of think of members and the love of the members mm -hmm. and, and i don't unity think of coming in the home and, yeah and you don't think of coming home no good I, I don't think of the negative components of coming home any thoughts mom on this at all um i love there was a, a gentleman um that kyle and his companions were teaching who was an artist who painted Kyle this beautiful picture of the Savior. And to me, that encap encapsulates um, connection on a mission through love. And then that can't not include success. That That is success. Um, and I love that picture. I I loved it when you came home, Kyle, and put it on your dresser. I love that you moved it to your apartment when you were at BYU. Um, I love your healthy attitude towards um, that experience. Are there, uh, you're different because I'm going back to early release. Sorry. <laughs> this is great. I'm breaking my own promise to myself. No, it's okay. Are there, do you think you've learned things? Do you think you're a better man because you came home early from your mission? And do you think you have Christ-like attributes that are part of you that wouldn't be there if you had not come home early? No, I don't think so. I think everybody, I think if I would have stayed on my mission, God would have worked with that and would have developed me in other ways, in similar ways. I think it doesn't take 
unique or special experiences to be developed into a good person or to be developed into a Christ-like person. Um, I like that answer. It was, it was probably a different answer, and I was thinking, I, I thought you'd probably say, well, this did teach me some things that I probably couldn't learn any other way. But I like your answer in a way saying God, you know, is, would have taught me those things. And so, but I like the way there's no shame. Um, I don't think anybody should feel shame for going and just dedicating a period of time to serving yeah. the Lord and serving others. Yeah. Even if it's just a few days at the MTC, I think, or even if it's just a desire to serve, I, it's, it's a sacrifice regardless. Even if it's just a desire to serve. I'm remembering, I think, an Elder Oaks talk talking about how we're re we receive blessings and based on our desires and our ability to, and some people would have the same level of desire and the circumstances just wouldn't be there for them to be able to serve. And while others would have a, a desire and be able to serve and they would both receive the same reward and only the Lord would know um, the desire of our hearts and then the practicalities. Can we turn that desire into an actual mission in this example? Oh, I like that. Um, talk about the importance of therapy because therapy has stigma yeah. um, in our culture. And I've been pretty honest in my in the podcast. I've seen a therapist twice in my life, once as a singles word bishop. And yeah. I didn't quite tell the YSAs their bishop was seeing a therapist. <laughs> I didn't quite know how that would go over. Um, but... It's been part of my journey to just um, manage my emotional health at times. So talk about, you know, therapy and just how it's helped you. Yeah. Um, therapy has been helpful to me in that it provides a safe, non-judgmental place to, to work through things. Um, honestly, my experiences with therapy coming home from my mission were not good and even a few experiences I had after that through my first few years at BYU were not good either. Um, in general, if I'm a, th any general, it just, why it wasn't good. I don't know um, if it was a personality I or think the things they said. Or... At, at least for me, it's a big thing is personality and a big thing is just being able to connect. And it took me trial and error of trying to work with I think the th there were three therapists. <laughs> Interestingly, they were all men. And then my fourth therapist was a woman, and that's when we clicked. Um, and not that gender always right. <laughs> does anything like that, but um, I, you just have to keep trying until it works. And when I finally did click um, at BYU, I it changed everything. And that's when I was able to start working through with my therapist before I talked with my family, working through some of these, um, these, uh, sexual, uh, orientation, um, things in my life. And so I think with therapy, the biggest thing is it's not just, you do it and it works. It takes a lot of effort on your part and also a lot of perseverance to kind of keep trying until it does work. I like that perseverance, keep trying. And so all therapists may have had the right skill set, but there's yeah. a personality and a connection and just that sometimes really clicks. Mm -hmm. It's good. Yeah. Um, talk about just coming to term. You talked about dating um, and you actually were used the word embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's pretty honest. Just talk about why it was embarrassing to date just because it just didn't click. 
I mean, you're um, an articulate guy, can keep a conversation going. So you're not like you would have a lot of ability to have a conversation and a uh, authentic communication with somebody. So I don't think it's like you couldn't keep conversation going. Yeah, no. It when I say embarrassing, I mean it was embarrassing to the extent that I would date and relationships would develop really, really great, really very emotional connections and very great um, intimate relationships. Um, but then whenever a physical aspect would try to creep in, that's when it would get embarrassing. Um, and um, I think just time and time again of like being like, yes, like I really do like this this girl. I really do connect with her. She's this great person. And then also this disconnect of but like why am i not like attracted to her um even though she's amazing and she's literally like that's what i mean by embarrassing just not feeling like and then looking at all of my friends and seeing assuming that it just worked out so easy for them when i know i know it probably didn't but um i like that i actually like that you talked about there was an intimate emotional connection mm-hmm there was an ability to obviously just connect on a lot of different issues, whatever issues, but there is an important part of a relationship. That's a physical connection. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and you can't turn that on or turn that off. There's no like formula. That's just how we're all wired inside to have a, a physical connection with somebody and open that door. And then if it doesn't ever happen, sometimes we can feel pretty broken. You know, I don't know if that was hard on you emotionally then to, sort of realize that this isn't, I'm not connecting the way other people are. Mm -hmm. And it led to a lot of, a lot of anger with God, um, which was something that I was scary for me because I don't, I don't, anger makes me uncomfortable, but um, just being a, a lot of frustration and. Talk about the anger with God. Just wanting it to be different and so many times of feeling like I try so hard and I try, I try to be good and I try to, I try to live up to expectations of others and expectations of God. And, um, yet I feel like I fall short in terms with this. Um, and so it took me a long time to, for that anger to kind of turn into, not anger turn into love and something that I'm incredibly proud of and something that I love about myself. Um, and so no one's ever described anger turning into love on a podcast before. Most people talk about anger, just leaving, but I love what you said. Just talk more about that, Kyle. Yeah. So I was angry. I mean, by that time that I was at BYU and dating girls, I knew I was gay and I was angry at God that I was gay. And I, um, fast forward now, I, I, I'm hopefully it's okay to say this. I, I love that I'm gay and I don't really see it any other way. And I know, and I take a lot of pride in the fact that God made me that way. And, um, so just kind of that process, that very hard, time sensitive, arduous process of not being angry, but just realizing, you know what, like God 
is powerful and God. And a big thing for me is I don't think God makes mistakes. And I think there's a reason he does everything. And I just realizing that kind of led, it left no place for anger. It left, I love God. And I, even if I don't understand his plan and what he does is perfect. And I can't be angry for being mortal and not understanding. It's really very, very thoughtful talk. What did you do to to get the anger out and get to love? Was it your relationship with God? Was it family? Was it, you know, therapy? Was it reading the scriptures? So the reason I ask that is there's other people listening. They're angry at God. Yeah. And kind of want to, I, I would, and they say to themselves, I want to be where Kyle is. How do I do that? What would you say to them? I think it's different for everyone. I, for me, it was therapy. It was talking to other people about it. It was talking with my family about it. Um, and it was the biggest thing for me was being more honest with God to the extent that I would talk instead of ignoring, ignoring it. Not that like, ignoring is a bad thing, but I would talk with God about it and I would try to work with him and try to, I mean, it was something that was a comfortable, not, it was something that I forced myself to be a comfortable and frequent topic of like thought and conversation with God. Whereas before it was like off limits. Um, Did you talk to God about being gay? Uh-huh. Good. Yeah. And I think that's a, the, that's what ultimately led me to a place of being there's still days where I'm frustrated and like, I look at my friends and I'm like, Oh, I wish I wasn't gay. But the majority of the time I think because talking with God and realizing that he loves perfectly, I think it, again, it just leaves in my experience, it leaves no room for anger. Anger is really an interesting word for me. I don't have any clinical training, but the I've learned to honor anger in other people. And not just to say, don't be angry. Yeah. I think it's a secondary emotion often, often to pain. And maybe that you were feeling great pain mm -hmm. with, you know, in these dating situations that it just wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. I'm not suggesting I know what the link there was, but I, I think it's okay to be angry. Yeah. And I think agency sort of kicks in as how long we stay angry and what we can do with that. Um, and I think you've done a good job of, I would say, going from anger to no anger, but you've actually talked about going from anger to love and that and loving yourself for who you are. And I will say one other thing that I think has helped me the most actually is meeting and interacting with other people that love themselves for those aspects of their identity. Um, even if they're not fully active in church or even if they're not even if they have a different lifestyle, I think just meeting people that are proud of that part of them is incredible, was incredibly healing for me. That's good. Any thoughts, Melanie, as you're just hearing your son um, from a perspective as a parent? It's obvious that Kyle is um, very aware of his emotions. And then he has a gift of being able to articulate those clearly and powerfully i think um i i just I, I i love kyle i love him whether we're sitting around this table talking or whether we're driving in the car um, whether he comes and hugs our 
grandkids and he's an incredible uncle. Um, parents love when their children are learning and um, Kyle is a great learner and he shares um, some of his wisdom and I'm grateful. Parents love when their children are learning. I like that. Talk about coming out. Um, who did you come out to first? Um, so the first person Maybe I... Maybe that was a therapist you talked to first. Yeah, the therapist, but I don't really count that for some reason. Um, I guess God and the therapist are kind of in this other... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, they just kind of... You never really deal with them again. So, But the, they're great, and I, I think in the in my long scheme in the long think whatever in my whole life i think the therapist that helped me work through this she i think will be one of the most impactful people in my life cool and it kind of makes me sad that i can't really like maintain a relationship with her um but but so not to like underplay the importance of them because and we as parents pray that people come into our kids lives that can do things for our kids that we can't do at certain times. So I've never felt I have to be the parent of every single situation our kids face. But I pray that people will come in their lives that can meet the needs. Yeah. So I love this therapist. And maybe it's an answer to your mom's prayers or your parents' prayers. They're just praying for their kids. Yeah. And then you find, even though they may not know exactly what they're praying for sometimes and have an intuition that a kid needs just some, there's something going on or needs some help. Yeah. But yeah, yeah keep telling your story eventually yeah. coming out, I think, to your mom. Yeah. So my mom was the first person I, I talked to. Um, I had been talking with my, I had started meeting with my therapist for a few months before I brought up being gay. Um, and once I did, we, we talked for a few weeks before I finally wanted to, to talk with my mom. Um, and so it was, it was on July 23rd. <laughs> you remember these dates? I remember the day. I remember what the weather was like. I remember everything. Um, and I, um, I, I just asked my mom if she wanted to talk. And so we went to a park and we did, um, I, I don't think I can probably share the whole story. <laughs> I think my mom should talk about it just because I, I'll I probably get too emotional or I, or I skip things. I don't know. Tell us, we're in the park, Melanie. Take, pick park. it up from there. And did you have intuition that you're, there was something you're, was going on with your son? Correct. That feeling was was prevalent. Um, but it wasn't actively f forced upon Kyle by me asking and inquiring and bothering and, but a lot of praying, um, a lot of finding myself in places that bring predictable peace. And, and so I would, I would go and, um, be found in the temple. I would go and be found by myself, um, some of the trails in Provo in nature, um, Sometimes in my own thoughts, I knew something was weighing on Kyle for a period of time. Um, and I knew that this text that I received was a different text. We, 
we do a lot together. I'm so grateful when my children are physically close to me. And I, I knew that something was coming, so much so that before I left the house to go pick Kyle up, as I was reaching for the door, I had this feeling, go upstairs and pray. So I walked up the stairs, and it's not unusual for me to have a feeling to pray, but when I kneel down, I ask, well, what am I supposed to ask for? My prayer is to know what to pray for. And the sweet feeling came, uh, pray for something that will be helpful for you and Kyle. So I just said, Heavenly Father, I am um, aware that something is um, important for Kyle. And if it's important to Kyle, then it's important to me. So I don't know what I need, but would you just um, give us whatever would be helpful? So then I was uh, walking down the stairs and felt the freedom to leave the house and go um, pick up Kyle. And we, we walked and talked about things that weren't related to, I think, what he was trying to um, divulge. But I was patient. We walked a couple laps, actually. I enjoyed it. It was a beautiful evening. It was the day before Pioneer Day, so there were some fireworks off in the distance that we could see and hear. Um, and then finally, we sat down at a bench. And he was on my right-hand side, and um, I, I just listened. My heart was very still. He shared a lot. Um, of very difficult things. I, I don't know that I've ever had a time in my life where I have seen one of my children so physically um, burdened and weight, the weight was, was so real that I could actually feel it myself as well. And so that was the hardest thing. But then here was the greatest thing. Um, Kyle had all the time and space to say whatever he wanted and I maybe asked a few questions but, but mostly I was very patient and um, still when he was done he looked at me and he said mom what are you thinking and then this is when the answer to the prayer in my bedroom just an hour or two before came to complete clarity. I said, Kyle, I'm not thinking anything, but can I share with you what I'm feeling? And of course he was eager for that um, invitation. I said, Kyle, I am experiencing a peace which I can't explain. And then I went on to tell him that I had I had felt the prompting to pray before I left. And in so I testified to him that it was a peace which passeth all understanding. And then it's not a peace that is given in or from this world, but it was it was God's peace that is found through Jesus Christ. And that is um and that has stayed and that has stayed 
I can't even pretend to have the peace go away. It is, it is holding and it is becoming more secure. And I am so grateful for peace that you can't explain other than I testify that it comes from God because of his son. This is just a beautiful story. I'm so honored to be hearing this firsthand. Just is very tender. This is a wonderful moment in the Manwaring family. Kyle, what are you thinking? And I love your line, a peace um, passeth all understanding. I love that phrase, Melanie. That's a, I just will continue to reflect on that. It's a great phrase. Kyle, what, you know, how are you feeling at this point? Um, I think just looking back on being able to talk with my mom, um, it was incredibly difficult. And but I think once I got the words out, um, I don't even think I said I'm gay. I think I said I am attracted to guys or something. I said it it's weird. It's just fine. <laughs> but um, once those words were out, I felt physically like better and like like I was being pressed down less I don't know I um and I just remember at, in that moment we I remember I looked and we, there was the Provo temple off in the distance and I just remember having the thought like everything's going to be okay like you have people that love you and I just had a reassurance that God loved me and then I was like, everything will be fine. And so I'm incredibly lucky. I, I, my experience is, I mean, it was one of the best experiences of my life and, and I'm grateful for that. And I don't know, I don't know what I did to deserve that or, um, why everyone can't have an experience like that, but, but I'm grateful and I, I, would have had it no other way than talking with my mom first. I mean, you've heard probably lots of people share with you their coming out experience with parents, and mm -hmm. you've had your own experience, and which is a really good experience. What if you're if parents are listening, saying, "I want to do the right thing," um, what what are the things that you'd suggest to parents if a kid comes out to them? I think. Again, people are different, and so th different things will help different people. But in my situation, it what my mom did that was helpful is she sat there and she listened. She was just there. And and so I think listening, I, I every time I hear stories of my friends coming out and their parents or friends cutting them off or... So they wanting their opinions to be heard. It always, it always makes me tense up a little bit, and it makes me so sad that that here you have someone that trusts you enough to do this. It's so incredibly hard that um, I think you should respect them and let them talk, let them share what they're feeling, and not probe, but and then just to reiterate your love for them and i think 
I think more than what you say, I think it's kind of just how you move on from that point and how you, how you, I mean, I don't feel like it really changed a lot, which was good. It was a relief. I felt like it would like completely change or ruin my relationship with my mom or my friends, my friends. Um, but I think just kind of returning to a sense of normalcy to an extent and just always feel and then feeling like an increase in love that I think is what is most helpful. How did you come out to the rest of your family? Um, did mom kind of tell everybody or did you tell everybody? There's no right answer for no, this. So I, I gave my mom a letter to give to my dad um, because I was really wanting to talk to my dad in person, but it was so exhausting and hard every time coming out to someone that I, I just, I couldn't do two people at once. And so I had my mom give my dad a letter. And then a few months later I talked with my brother. And then a few months later I talked with my sister. Um, and then I was talking with friends in the meantime. And, and I think every time I shared that, I mean, I was surprised how it was still hard every single time. And, but all of my experiences were good. And I, again, I'm incredibly lucky. And I realized that I'm... How did your dad respond to your letter? He, I'm trying to remember exactly what he, I remember he sent me a really nice message. Um, I, I remember the next time I saw him, I think I went over the next day. He, he just came out to meet me in my car and he just gave me a big hug. And my dad is the worst at controlling his emotions. And he just started bawling his eyes out. Um, and just hugged me. Um, and so that's how he responded to me. I love that you met your mom at the park and you wrote your dad a letter. I think both are, there's no one right no. way to do this. And I, I just think you're acting on the impressions, the best way to do that. And, and I think sometimes I don't think a letter, in other words, is a cop out or you couldn't face the conversation. I think it's just a great way. Some people, I think it's helpful to read a letter. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard many stories of, I've heard kids have come out over Facebook Messenger to their parents. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so their parents can kind of digest that um, yeah. and then have the conversation. So I, I think this is great. And I think everybody does this the way they need to do it. And if you're not the first one that someone comes out to in a family, I don't think it means that you're less trusted or less no. valued. It's just, it's just sometimes someone's first. Right. <laughs> and it's, and so I think that's okay. Um, my wife will learn things about our kids long before I would. And sometimes our kids reach out to me first. Yeah. And it just kind of depends on our word. And we're just parents trying to do the best we can. So I like all, this story. Yeah. Any more thoughts, Melanie, you have on, it sounds do you remember how long you're actually sitting on that bench on July 23rd? A long time. It felt like an eternity. It was much longer for Kyle than it was <laughs> for me, I'm, I'm certain. And did you go into a stage where, I mean, Kyle's known he's gay for a while and you're just learning this. So sometimes the parents, you know, even though you've come out, you know, you've go through a process of sort of grieving what you'd hoped or it just creates, did you feel some of that? I don't know if grief's the right word of it. It's just, it can potentially change the future of your child from what you'd first hoped. 
And that sometimes keeps kids closeted because mm -hmm. they don't want to complicate their parents' lives as they come out. And I, I don't know if my situation is unusual or unique, but I haven't had a tremendous amount of time feeling like dreams have been lost or my vision has been crushed. I've just been focused more on Kyle and my family. That's great. And I haven't had any um, situations of, of feeling hopeless or helpless. It's just been just the opposite, actually. My brother Dave talks about relationship-based families versus outcome-based families. And I, th I think that's what he said, but he certainly talked about relationship and how sometimes, I mean, that is the key part of a family is the relationship. And we want sort of desired outcomes. And I don't want to infer that whatever outcome you would hope for for Kyle has changed. I wouldn't want to go down that. But sometimes I think when we have family relationships based on certain outcomes, I call them the vending machine relationships where parents put in coins into the vending machine, you press C3, and then there's that little pause, and you look at C3, and D4 comes out, you go, holy cow, what did I do wrong? <laughs> this isn't what, and then parents sometimes look inward and say, well, I missed a family night lesson, or I did, and so I think, out, I think we want wonderful outcomes for our kids. There's no question, and we invest so much, but no outcome has changed here, but I love relationship-based families that you know, the relationship's the key thing and the love and support and helping each other. It seems like that's a big part of your family relationship. It is, and our family has changed. Um, and Kyle has, has helped us. And it's... Um, I'm, try I'm trying to think. We can sit in a Relay Society lesson and, and, and learn about love. We can read it in the scriptures where truth is spoken. And we can look at pictures hanging on the wall. And then sometimes, and most especially within the unit of a family, an eternal family, we have the opportunity to not do love as theory, but to actually practice. Wow. And so love, that's, that's what this has been for me. Um, love as... Um, practice doing it, not talking about it, not hoping for it, but embracing it and looking at it right in the face <clears throat> with courage and hope and love and, and unity and listening and understanding. That's great. So this was just about 10 months ago. You came out to your mom and you're 20, 27, 20. Well, how old are you, Kyle? I'm 23. So 23. And and then I want to transition to BYU because you just graduated from BYU, but you also got invo involved at BYU in an organization at BYU. And, and talk about that organization, your involvement. Yeah. Um, so, so after coming out, I um, made a lot of friends um, in similar situations to me, and I quickly realized that my experience was not necessarily always the 
majority experience in having a supportive and loving family and and especially specifically at BYU I love BYU and I love I mean the majority of my identity is BYU and sports and stuff and um, but not everyone has that same sort of feelings of affection towards BYU um and so I felt a responsibility to kind of to kind of try to help I don't know um so they so I was able to work um as a student assistant in a, a department on campus that focused on kind of reaching out to LGBT students and um so there's a department on campus that is tasked with the goal of reaching out to LGBTQ students. Um, reaching out to minority students. Minorities and inclusion. Helping just all students feel included. And Is that a new successful. department? Yep. It is brand new as of 2019. Okay. Um, That's and, pretty new. Yes, exactly. And I think um, from my perspective, it's a really good step. It, I think, is just a small, small, small baby step in a future that needs to that of big steps and leaps that need to be taken but it's a good step and it was a great experience to be able to connect with some other students um the numbers were really small because the numbers were much much smaller than the reality because most people that i talked to at byu were not comfortable kind of getting involved with anything where administration is there or church leaders are there because they don't they don't trust that and and I don't blame them there's a lot of a lot of issues a lot of things that need to change but um but it it showed me again that at BYU there's people there's good people that want to help and want to help people be successful and um and being I, the best thing was being able to interact one on one with members of the administration and other influential people at BYU and even some in the church that and seeing how much they care and how difficult it is for them to to kind of navigate and figure out these answers that I don't think ever will will really come or be solidified so i sense and you know this better than I do, there's really thoughtful people at BYU administration that want to do the right thing with their LGBTQ members. Yeah, there is. Um, there is. And, But I sense there's still difficult, difficult experiences happening for BYU LGBTQ people. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason that it's an incredibly unsafe and dangerous place to be for LGBT students. And I, I mean, I even to this day, I have some people reach out to me and ask me about my experience at BYU and the majority of time that they ask me if they're a high school student, the majority of the time that they ask me if I think they should go to BYU, I usually say no. Um, not because it's a bad place or because there's bad people, but because it's incredibly difficult for, for many people. And, um, I've had, I've had a few friends commit suicide that um i haven't been super close with them but acquaintances that i've known and um and it's hard it's it's a hard place for and it's not it's not just lgbt students it's a hard place for a lot of people to feel included and um if I think, some are saying if some just say 
I think five years ago, I would have not believed you, maybe. <laughs> I would have said, well, this seems, I, I can't, I'm not seeing this, though. And now that I've listened to LGBTQ people, I've realized how difficult it is. But just talk to our listeners, because everything you've said is positive about what you've just talked about. You love the experience there. You love the school. So you kind of have this honest credibility with me and probably with our listeners that you're not just a binary anti-BYU person and just, you know, you actually love BYU and you had a good experience there, but you're also trying to say it's really hard. Just yeah. help us understand why it's hard. Um, it's hard to, and I this goes into some things with church and some kind of discomfort and hard things about church as well. It's hard sometimes to just feel it's easy to feel like you're always an exception and you're not really included in the in the plan or the thoughts of people or that there's not really a place for you um it's really it was really hard for me one by one all of my roommates and friends got married and i mean obviously i'm i was so happy for them and i love and love that and i support them but it's hard to see that um it's hard. There was a there was a few week period where it was hard for me just to physically walk onto campus, um, and and so I just <laughs> didn't go to campus. It's okay. <laughs> um, I would especially avoid the areas where there was like statues of families together, not because they're things that I don't love or things that I don't believe in, but to me they were difficult and. Um, it reminds you of what's not happening for you or what's not possible. Right. Right. So. And I know um, there's an upcoming Sunday school lesson on the 19th of May, and this podcast may or may not come out before then about our doctrine on marriage between a husband and wife. And, yep. And I sense that's doctrine you support and sustain. Um, I'm speaking for you, and it's doctrine that I speak, support, and sustain, but I recognize that, that can, those lessons can be incredibly triggering um, for LGBTQ people or other sing, a single person that's not married just because they don't fit, and it reminds them they don't fit, mm -hmm. and they feel broken and incomplete and not part of, they don't have a feeling of belonging or they're part of this organization because they don't fit. Is that, I mean, speak to that. I'm just kind of projecting yeah. experiences of others. I think the hard thing for me is when I feel like an emphasis, a bigger emphasis is placed on those areas that ex make people feel excluded than those areas where people feel included. Because to me, the whole idea, the whole heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about love and inclusion. And so, and I think it's funny when, um, people feel like when they encounter a gay member of the church, they feel a need to be like, well, you know that like the church believes the church's stance is this and this. You never knew that until right. they told them, Kyle. <laughs> I think, I think I might, this might be me going out on a limb here, but I think that gay members of the church understand that much better than, I agree. than anybody else. And, and so I think it, it's hard when, it seems like the emphasis when the emphasis is not placed on love, even though it is placed on love because family is love and family is good and marriage is good. Um, but I don't know. It's hard. 
<laughs> You're doing a good job of articulating. I think it's really, it's. I call it a blind spot. Yeah. I think it's a blind spot where, you know, I didn't realize it was a blind spot. I didn't realize there was a blind spot by just talking to straight people. Mm-hmm. I couldn't see the blind spot until I start, started talking to the gay men in my ward and then brought more broadly. And I, And that's the only way I could learn. And so I think... With people saying, what's the, what's, I don't get it. They've got to talk to people like you and talk and hear your lived experience. And they go, oh my gosh, there's a blind spot. And it's not that we're changing doctrine. It's just that, you know, we, we exclude people and we make people feel othered and not complete and not belong. And mm-hmm. I heard a term um, a year ago that comes to my mind, theology for the margins. And it's this concept that we ought to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and as we're preparing a lesson or or thinking about a talk, we should think about who are those, just like Christ did, that have the hardest road in mortality and what can we use in our lesson or our talk to help those people feel included? Because I think that's what Christ did versus those that have the most privilege and are kind of in the, not on, they're on the opposite of the margin and they sometimes have hard roads. So I'm not saying we should just ignore them. But I think that's that's a little bit how my mind has shifted as I read, you know, the Canaanite woman that came up to Jesus and even his disciples said, tried to shoo her away. And I and then, you know, she just wanted to have her daughter healed. She didn't even bring her daughter because she wasn't sure it was safe. And I just look at all these examples of Christ being with people he's that, you know, society or people, other cities shouldn't be with. We have the pool of Bethesda hanging in our, not the original, um, <laughs> unfortunately, but it, over your shoulder here. And I just look at Christ with all the people that society said, you know, aren't worthy to be with. And he went with them and his hand is reaching to somebody that's covered themselves up at the pool of Bethesda under a tarp. And he doesn't even feel welcome. He's so... And I just think, so I think, what's my responsibility as a priesthood leader, as a parent, or as a teacher, or as an instructor in a classroom setting, that's the same as a teacher, I'm thinking, to make sure that I'm bringing content that, you know, doesn't add to the burdens of those that have the hardest road. And to do that, I have to hear stories like yours. And I have to validate your story. I don't have to have you prove it to me. So if you say it's difficult for you... I, I should just take that on face value, Kyle. Yeah. I shouldn't say, well, prove that. I, I shouldn't hold your feelings suspect. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so this is just some of but LGBTQ people have taught me. It's not like I learned this in any formalized training. And so it's been helpful for me, but it's really real what you're talking about. Right. And um, I had a woman on the podcast and she said, I liked where she was because she said she's gay and um, and she really feels like she can stay in the church and never have children, never get married. And she's sensitive to say, that's my story, but it may not be everybody's. But she said, this is plan A for me. This isn't plan B because A didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And I like the way she just owned it. Yeah. And I felt sometimes our YSAs unmarried feel like their life's not complete until they're married. Mm-hmm. And culturally, we create a feeling that we're not complete until we're married. And... And that then adds to LGBTQ road, you know, if you're not going to marry a woman and have a way in the church to stay in the church and be married. So any thoughts on that from either of you? I think just as you were talking, I think it was important for me to kind of reiterate that I've never felt 
excluded or not welcomed by God himself, or especially by Jesus Christ. I've always felt loved and accepted by them. It, But there have been countless times that I have felt not welcomed at church or excluded from cultural things. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that my beef or my frustration is with God or with Jesus. I My relationship with them is stronger today than I believe it ever has been. And Do you think it's partly it has to be because the institutional church can't fully meet your needs right now? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think there's a big, I've had to take a lot more responsibility for my own relationship with God. I think it's easy in a church setting, especially in our church cultural setting to kind of lay your responsibility or your relationship with God onto others, onto church leaders or onto temple recommend questions. Um, when in reality, you need to just own up to your relationship and no one else. It shouldn't be you are communicating with God through the church. It should be you are communicating with God and you have a relationship with God. And I don't think anything else should get in the way of that. It's really powerful. Why did God make you gay, Kyle? It's <laughs> a good question. I don't know. <laughs> um, Do you think something went wrong? No. I no, I think it was an active an active an active um creation of his. I I know I I am a creation of God and I I can't get myself to believe that it was that any part of me is a mistake. Um and so yeah, I think I don't I don't know. I don't know why you did why you did. Um I think that purpose probably changes throughout life. I think one of the purposes, it's because I've been able to meet a lot of other gay people and they have inspired me and made me become a better person. And for the time being, I think that that might be the reason for me personally so that I can become a better person. Um, so, I love that there's no shame in being gay and you have the feeling that God, something didn't go wrong and... I've said this sometimes. I don't think God's doing a face palm up in heaven no. going, oh, no, what would happen with Kyle? I've got a gay child <laughs> on earth. I, I believe the way you did do, but it took me talking to gay people to get there. Right. And it took me one of the <laughs> greatest honors I've had is to give hundreds of blessings to LGBTQ people. And that isn't then me. That's God. Um, You know, talking about his love, I've never felt impressed to with the priesthood power I hold to change someone's orientation, I've never felt even close to an impression and just an impression that LGBT people are created as they're supposed to be created. And nothing went wrong here, and it's part of the plan, and it's really hard to see the full plan right now and how that all fits together. A really trusted leader, you know, not a church leader, but someone I consider a great mentor as he's been listening to the podcast, he says, I'm struck by what I don't know mm -hmm. about what's going on here with LGBTQ people. Not, not necessarily in a pastoral role. I think he's got a good feeling on how to help, but what, how this, how this fits into the eternal plan. And this is a well-educated guy 
that's used to having the answers. And he just says, I'm struck by what I don't know. Right. And I thought the humility of that um, was very, I thought that was great because I think the humility allows God to work through someone to answer questions and to bring further light and understanding. Give us some insight in this, the lay of the land of LGBTQ people at BYU. For everyone that's, you're out at BYU um, in your last six months or so and served in an assignment at BYU and what percent of, and then you probably have a real, you probably have a lot of closet people that have just opened up to you. You know, so what percent are out at BYU that are LGBTQ? Um, I'd say the majority, the, from my own personal experience, the majority of people are not. Um, I'd say about two thirds or three fourths of people are not, are not out to friends or family. Um, and I think there's a lot of factors to that, but I think I think it's important to realize that when you do meet even just a member of the church that is confident and comfortable to an extent talking about being gay, there's three or four or five fold more people that are struggling in silence and um, and those are those are like the real people that deserve the credit because those are the ones that actually go through the hard things. And those are the ones that actually suffer. And um, those are the people we need to help. And and it makes me sad. Yeah, and I just, I think we need to say kind things about LGBTQ people at church mm -hmm. and in devotionals. And I hope we can say things eventually as a church in general conference about our LGBTQ people. We don't. That, ha that door hasn't really opened no. up yet. President no. Ballard at BYU said some things, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you know every word of that. Yeah, sure do. <laughs> um, and I bet every LGBTQ person at BYU or in the church has memorized what he said because it's, yeah. it's the kindest thing that's been said by yeah, a senior member of the 12. It is. And, and it didn't change our doctrine. Right. And I think the biggest thing I've realized in the past year has been it's not just for me it's easy to focus on lgbt people and my gay friends that feel like they don't fit in and aren't included but i've had my eyes opened that i think everybody has aspects of themselves very real like parts of their identity that make it hard for them to feel like they're included and and so when we talk about like there needs to be improvements and more love for lgbt people it honestly just means there needs to be more love for everyone. I love and, that. and there's people out there that are struggling more than LGBT members of the church probably. And, and so it's not anything that's like, it's this elite group of trying to promote LGBT members. It's, it's everyone because everyone struggles. Talk about your future. I, you've got, as far as I know, you've got three paths. You could stay celibate. Um, and be in the church for the rest of your life. You could find a same-sex partner, and that puts you in the conflict of it's hard to stay in the church. Mm -hmm. um, as a fully participating member, I assume you could still attend and and um, be hopefully welcome in our congregations. You could marry a woman. How do you? And I'm I'm sure you've been thinking about these three roads for a long time. Yeah, of course. Just talk about your future. Do you just try to take it six months at a time? Um, I try to take it one day at a time. 
um, actually. But I think from where I sit now, the the idea of marrying, being in a mixed orientation marriage isn't incredibly um, appealing, makes it seem like it's like a choice or something, but isn't doesn't seem like an option for me. Um, and between the others of um, of being celibate and fully active or having a same-sex partner, I think, I mean, I have my desires and I have things that I want. As it is, I don't think it, and I think as you've said, it, you can't be a fully participating member. I don't think there's a way to fully embrace both of those aspects, um, which makes me sad. I wish there was. Um, but something that has helped me has been trying to focus on, instead of thinking of something I have to give up or something I have to lose, I either have to lose my membership in the church or my affiliation with church, or I have to lose kind of my identity with my sexuality. A big thing for me has been wanting to gain emotional, spiritual stability and health for an extended period of time, which is something that I, I, I haven't had for a long, I haven't had for a long time ever. Um, and that is something that I am willing to work hard to get and give up anything along the way that has to that has to be given up because um, because I think that that's what God God I don't think God wants me to be miserable and so that's kind of how I view my future I don't know exactly what will happen I I as I have kind of taken a step back or distanced myself from a lot of church things. Over the recent months, I, I've found a lot more emotional stability, and um, but that's for the time being. I fully admit that that might change. Um, so, so I just try to take it one day at a time. And if I take a, if I take a step back from church, I think it's important to realize that doesn't mean I'm taking a step back from God, or that doesn't mean I'm taking a step back from my family, um, or things that I believe or that I love. It. It just means I think I'm trying to be healthy and happy, and I would hope that people would respect me for that, just as I try to respect other people for however they choose to live their life. Thanks for being so honest. Yeah. You're just completely honest in this podcast, and I love what you said, that I want to be in a really good spot emotionally to make decisions, and I think... I like that because that's those to me are faith-based decisions and yeah. is key decisions when we're at our personal best to make key decisions for our life. So I love the way you're staying close to God and you're going slow and you're um, and I just and I probably you know I just uh, my impression is just to trust you um, that you know you and you know God and you know your path and. And that would be my impression. I think I, I invite everybody to stay. Um, but if someone chooses a different path, I'm not going to make, make them the villain. I'm not going to dehumanize them. Um, I realize that, and some one father of a gay son said, my son's in a double bind. You know, he, he, there's no way, there's no, it's a paradox. There's no way to, you know, and you feel that and mm -hmm. the tension of that. And he says, but I'm taking the double bind off in my family. He's always welcome in my family. And even if he goes down this path and is in a same-sex relationship slash marriage, 
I'm just going to leave that at the Savior's feet, and I'm going to keep my family together. And I like that. It took the double bind off. And maybe parents worry and grieve and wonder what that means eternally, and I would certainly give parents permission to feel that because you then live outside the doctrine of our church, and there's questions what mm-hmm. what, what that means for you. And I, I don't, I'm not a parent of a gay kid, so I don't know how that would feel to me, but I would hope I'd just trust. I, I don't know how I'd handle that. It's hard for me to say. I would just say I'm going to keep my family circled together. I'm going to leave this the Savior's feet. I'm not going to head sad heaven. Sad heaven is when I conclude now a future outcome, which for me is the Dodgers losing again (laughs) and feeling all the pain of right now of my Los Angeles Dodgers losing again. And so I wouldn't, I would try not to have sad heaven now. I would try not to say, well, now I think my kid's not going to be with me eternally. And I would just say the loving God, um, I'll just leave that at his feet. And I know loving God wants all of his children to get back that are willing to make progress and are willing to stay close to him and move forward in their life. And so that's kind of the way I'd handle that. I don't, any thoughts on this complicated subject, Melanie? I like what both of you have said. Um, Those are some things that feel familiar to me because we've been doing them. And I commit that we will continue to do those things, Kyle. And, um, I think you guys both said some great truth. It's complicated. It's really complicated. I I feel for parents because there's not a lot of, there's other examples of parents, but it's not, um, it's not, I wish we could talk about this subject at church mm-hmm. and say, what do we do for the parents of a gay kid? Um, we'll, and find community there I th- and, and walk and just get other people to help us walk this road and figure out how to walk because we I think we can just make progress there and then if and what principles I'm a principle based decision person so I if someone would step away then I'd say what principles apply here what do I do as a parent and what do I do you know and so that's the way I pr- process it in my analytical principle based head <laughs> um, but there's a huge emotional component of this too so it's just complicated. Any more thoughts on this, Melanie? Nothing that I haven't already stated. I think the words that strike my heart are the words love, simple, forward, hope, trust, faith, desire, eternity. I am... It's the gospel. Those aren't just sort of, those are gospel doctrine terms. When I'm in a Facebook group of parents with gay kids, LGBTQ kids, and the parents post in there, and maybe you're in that group, but um, they talk a lot about, you know, moms especially go to the temple and just pray and pray and pray. And it seems like one of the consistent answers they've got is just what you said, love you know, love your kid, my kid. And it's sometimes really relieving to the parents because then they're not focused on a sort of an outcome that they may or may not be able to control, but they're focused on a relationship based on love. And I think we can all do that as parents. And I, that to me is this, the very best spot, I think, that I'm the most comfortable with is, you know, I can't control outcomes. I can teach, I can invite, I can 
And I think as parents, we, and then we just trust our kids to make, to do the best they can in their life and trust them that they're doing the right thing for them. And then we just love them and keep the family circle together. So we're at the end of the podcast. These things just fly by. It's hour and 20 minutes. And <laughs> I can't believe we've gone an hour and 20 minutes. Any just final thoughts either of you would like to share? Kyle, any thoughts you'd like to share? Um, I think I've shared most of them. I think something that I've come to learn and believe is that we're not supposed to experience life, both like the good things and the bad things about life all alone. I think that the reason that we're put into families and put into relationships and different communities is so that we can share with other people. Um, and knowing from personal experience, kind of being in the closet and walking, trying to walk this path alone is very scary and lonely and dangerous and not healthy and not sustaining. <laughs> and so my whole desire is just to try to help people realize that they don't have to walk it alone. Maybe, maybe they don't have to walk it by being completely open with their parents who might not take it very well, but maybe their friend, a friend, or maybe just being honest with God. I think that we lose out on life if we think we can't ask people for help or we can't experience life together. Um, and we also lose out if we think that the way we do things is the only, the only good way. I, over the past year, I've become friends with so many members of different faiths of Jews and Muslims and Catholics and, and they've taught me so many things about life, about God. And, and I think that you, you just have to open yourself up to the possibility to learn and to love and, and, um, and I'm grateful for a family and for parents and friends that, that do that so well. And I wish I plead with everyone that, that every other people in my shoes can have that same experience because it's hard enough as, as it is, and they don't need any added stress or burdens. Um, so it's really wonderful. When we talked about this podcast, you said, can my mom please come? Yeah. And now I know why. You are you. You are a great mom. Kyle has said it better than I can. But the the interaction just I'm watching between the two of you, the love that's here, this story on July 23rd, but it's a it's a parental foundation based on great communication, love, and trust, and it's a credit to both of you. But it's really touching to me. Um, and it's touching me. You wanted your mom here. Yeah. And that's the way it should be. And that doesn't work for every podcast. And every not everybody's in the same situation, but it's a credit to both of you. And I look forward to, I sort of see families like you, and I go, I can't wait to see the next five or ten years and how the principles of the gospel that you're applying in your family situations will just bless your families and your future grandkids and, uh, you know, the rest of your family. Any thoughts you'd like to share, Melanie? Closing. Actually, it's a thought I've had in conjunction with the recently experienced Holy Week. 
or the greatest week in the history of the world. And I've been thinking about it, maybe not specifically to the feelings and topics of this podcast, but I think it's the foundation of how I choose to be a daughter of God in all the avenues and arenas that that gives me the privilege to participate in. I know that the word holy, H-O-L-Y, refers to things that are sacred and reverent. And I am grateful for the Holy Week where we were able to focus on things that really, the only things that really matter. Some of these other things, challenging and difficult, um, kind of seem to slip away. But what I want to say to Kyle is, Kyle is making me a mother that is more whole, W-H-O-L-E. I'm feeling more complete because I'm learning about patience and faith and acceptance and love in a way that the Savior, I believe, intended it to be. I'm grateful for how personal this has become in a way that is loving. So Kyle, thank you for... Um, I know you love Jerusalem and the holy things that have happened there. I'm grateful for this celebration of the, the birth and um, atonement and resurrection of the Savior. And through that, my spirit feels more whole. Kyle has made me, my mother's heart is more whole because of him. It's really cool. What a tribute for you, Kyle. Yeah. And um, you know, your family, I, I know for me, Having LGBTQ in my life has made me more whole, to use your word. It's made me a better disciple of Christ. It's helped me to have better insights in the teachings of Christ. And and our church and our church just has more work to do to help our LGBTQ members feel welcome. Mm -hmm. Because I think if they feel more welcome, then we grow as the body of Christ because of what LGBT people can tell us and teach us about the doctrine of Christ. So I've always felt... We aren't. We can't become the church we need to be. I don't mean this in a critical or an activist way. With, without our LGBTQ members, um, and and a way for more of them to come out and more of them to feel like they belong, and that they're valued and needed members, like it talks about in Corinthians twelve, with Paul talking about the body of Christ, and he visually goes through the parts of the body, and how all are needed. And I just think we have more work to do, and I'll leave it up to our leaders. I don't sort of suggest how to do that. <laughs> I leave it up to our leaders, but I just think there's more work that needs to be done. But I think hearing people like you is helpful because what changes one heart at a time. And it's just from a personal level, Kyle, it's an honor to know you. We've been connected on social media a little bit, and I've seen your Jerusalem. I'm remembering now that you, I think your Twitter profile pic or your Facebook has got Jerusalem. Mm -hmm, yep. And we've had a couple of kids there that have sort of been there also. And But, you know, I, I'm really tenderhearted because I, I knew we were doing this podcast. It's a Friday afternoon, and I worked in the Salt Lake Temple this morning. I worked was around the groom's desk, and it was a busy groom today. And I, and I celebrated every one of those grooms. But I just recognized that that's not going to be your path, probably, unless yeah. you find a wife and that a woman and that works out. 
And so I thought, what's my pastoral responsibility as a disciple of Christ to do everything I can to, to lift your burden? I don't know the answer to that, but I just recognize it's harder. And I mourn for you a little bit as I just saw those grooms coming through. Yeah. And I, and so I, it's a paradox for me. I don't know how to reconcile. I don't fully know how to lift your burden except to acknowledge it's hard. And that that experience, I don't think that's going to be part of your life. And I'm, I guess I'm just sorry. Because that's, and I don't know how to reconcile that, except acknowledge it's hard. And and hopefully just to acknowledge, you know, that you're needed and you're deeply spiritual man, deeply connected to God, who's had to go really deep to develop a relation with God. And I don't worry about your future, though because of the foundation you have in your life. So actually, I don't worry about you. Um, if I were your YSA bishop, because <laughs> um, I just know the man you are and the spiritual gifts you have and the way you've had to go deep to have a relationship with God and you've got a family in your life that loves you. So I actually don't worry about your future, but I mourn that some of the things I saw this morning aren't going to be your path. Yeah. So, Kyle Manwaring, Melanie Manwaring, thank you for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler.